Thank you for listening to the Ablaze Church Sermon Podcast. Our purpose at Ablaze is to love God, love others, follow Jesus, and tell others. If you are looking for a church home in the Tulsa area, we'd love to have you join us for worship on Saturdays at 6.30 p.m. or Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at ablazechurch.org. Drs. Palmer and I are in a series on prayer. So it's only appropriate that we take a close look at what is known uh, by many as the most quotable or memorized prayer there is. Many unbelievers even are familiar with this prayer. Now, Jesus, before he teaches on prayer, gives two warnings. Let's take a little closer look at those warnings. Follow along once again. The first warning, Jesus says, is when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Well, what's a hypocrite when it comes to prayer? Well, he explains it. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. Why do you pray? Speak to the Lord. Well, that's good. Well, the Pharisees, the scribes, they prayed so they could be seen. They wanted people to go, oh, look how religious those people are. In the synagogue, they're so loud. In the street corner, they're so loud. Have you ever seen somebody in the street corner praying or preaching? Yeah, yeah, we can see that even today. Listen to what Jesus says about anybody who prays just for show. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, keep in mind, remember Daniel, who was thrown in the lion's den because he prayed in his room? I think Jesus is referring to this. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Another way of saying that same Greek word is invisible. Okay? And your father who sees in secret even though he can't be seen, will reward you. He says, listen, you don't have to have a synagogue, a street corner. Nobody has to see you pray. God hears you when you're in your car, when you're in your room, because you have that relationship with him. He is all-knowing and all-seeing, and he can hear you, even though you can't see him. Warning number two, and when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. So he talks about the Pharisees, the scribes, the Jews. Now he talks about the Gentiles who use a lot of words. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. How many words do you use when you pray? Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Your father knows what you need before you don't even have to say a word. And our Father knows what we need. Then Jesus says this. Notice the verbiage. Pray then like this. He doesn't say, pray these words. This is a model prayer. This is a prayer that we should look at and say, oh, that's how we should pray. Now, we know this prayer as the Lord's Prayer. 
And I know that's never going to change because that's what everybody knows. It. But I think a more accurate description of this prayer would be the disciples' prayer. Because in Luke, we learn that the disciples come to Jesus and, say, and they say, teach us to pray. And Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray. So it's more the disciples' prayer. Now, Jesus in John 17 literally has a prayer for you and for me. That is the Lord's Prayer, you might say. But whether we call it the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, or a perfect prayer because it was said by or taught by a perfect man, it's an important prayer. And whether Jesus meant it to be memorized or not, or proclaimed by a whole group or not, hey, anytime you memorize and a group quotes scripture, that's good. Okay, let's take a closer look at this prayer. Now, it is Martin Luther who takes the Lord's Prayer and, and puts it into seven petitions with a conclusion. You may remember that if you've ever been to a confirmation class years ago. And Martin Luther, at his day and age, taught eight weeks on just the Lord's Prayer, each petition with a conclusion. Well, I'm here just one day, <laughs> one sermon, and I'm going to try to share with you to enrich your idea and what you know about the Lord's Prayer. We all could use a little refresher course when it comes to prayer. That's why we're in this series. But this morning, I just want to take the first four words and talk about them with you. And those four words are this, our Father in heaven. Hmm. Now, of course, when it comes to the King James Version, our Father who art in heaven, it's a little longer. But let's take a, a look at the word are. What do we learn from the word are? Okay, in this prayer, there's no personal pronoun, I, me, or mine. What we find is are and us, and we. Yeah, that's kind of a corporate prayer, and I believe this is what Jesus meant it to be, a corporate prayer, a team player. Whether you know it or not, you're on a team. Team Jesus, okay? And he's teaching us to do something together as the body of Christ. Yeah, we can pray by ourselves, go to our room. There's nothing wrong with that. But God also wants us to be united, to be the body, and to pray together as Christians in a church where we come together. Have you ever heard somebody maybe say this? Well, I'm a Christian. I just don't belong to a church. Or they may even ask a question, can't I be a Christian without going to church? Well, the answer is yes, you can be a Christian without going to church. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Having faith makes you a Christian. It is by grace through faith we are saved, not by works or going to church. 
But if you are a Christian born again and you have faith in God, you want to be a part of a team. You are part of a team. And to say, well, I can be a Christian without a church is absurd. It's like saying, I'm a football player, but I don't have a team. It's like being, I'm a father, but I have no children. No, the two go together. There once was a pastor who went to visit a farmer who wasn't coming to church. Somehow, someway, he just kind of drifted away from church attendance. So the pastor went to visit, knocked on the door. The farmer invited him, and the two sat in front of the fireplace uh, doing small talk. And the pastor finally thought, now how am I going to reach this farmer? At first, he just wanted to bring out the law. Well, the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, you should be in church. But he knew that wasn't going to work. So after some time, looking at the fire, he said, why don't you come to church? We sure miss you. And the farmer said, well, uh, pastor, you know I'm a Christian, but I just don't need the church. How would you handle that? Well, the pastor just got up with the tongs, reached over into the fireplace and grabbed a glowing amber and put it on the stone floor out of the fire. He just looked at it. And it began to glow less and less and get gray and gray. When it looked like it was going to be out, he reached over, grabbed that amber and put it back in the fire, and it began to glow anew, <laughs> a new fire, okay? And the pastor looked at that, looked at the farmer and said, we sure miss you at church. He said, I have to go, and he left. Well, the next Sunday, guess who was in church? The farmer. Yeah. God has put us in a team. Our team. It's a corporate prayer, not individual. It's for the team. Our father. <laughs> How many of you are fathers? Raise your hand. Yeah. What a blessing. I've had the privilege of being a father for five children. Nothing could be better. When Jesus relates the creator of heaven and earth to the Jews and the Gentiles who were listening to him, this was radical. This was something that today we would say blew their minds. Now, I love being a father. But let me tell you, <laughs> there's another level. It's called being a grandfather. <laughs> now, that personal name my grandchildren use for me is Opa. And let me tell you, when I hear Opa, that's really special. I, and those of you who have grandchildren, you'll understand this. I believe that grandchildren, grandchildren are God's blessings to parents who don't kill their own children. <laughs> oh, the other day I was with my grandchild in the pool, and she, she loves this one. She was having the time of her life, 
Alma was there, I was there, her brother was there, and we were just swimming. And she was getting so excited. She, she couldn't handle herself. You know, she was just, oh, she was just so excited. And instead of saying, Opa, 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 you know what she said? Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. That's what she called me. I said, are you calling me Daddy? And she goes, yeah, I'm calling you Daddy. She has a daddy. She knows I'm Opa. But there was this emotional daddy. She wanted to be just a little more. Daddy, daddy, she was saying, like, I'm having so much fun. And I just ate it up. I want you to know. I was just like, oh, my daughter used to, my daughter and my children used to call me daddy. Well, it is Jesus who says to all of us, do you realize the relationship you have with the creator of heaven and earth? You can call him father. And in that special moment in the garden of Gethsemane, with the weight of the world on his shoulders, you know what Jesus says to the father? Not father, not potter in Greek. He says, Abba, daddy. If you can remove this cup, not my will, your will be done. Two more times, he says, Daddy, can you remove this cup? But not my will, your will be done. Part of the Lord's prayer is seen in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now on the cross, one of the shortest prayers, Father, forgive them. But he also uses the word God. My God, my God, why do you forsake me? That's because he was bearing the sin of the world. And when we pray to the Father, because we have that relationship, we can say, Father, but when it comes to judgment, it is God Almighty who judges. And Jesus was judged for you, for you and for me. Abba. What a blessing to be able to say. It blew the minds first for the Jews. Why? Because they looked at God as the king of creation. That aloof God. In fact, they wouldn't even dare say the word of God. You know how they would call on God? Hashim. Meaning the name. That's what it means. They would say, Hashim, Hashim, the name, the name. Really? Even to this day, how they write God, that is a Jewish person with G slash D. You don't even say his name because he's so aloof. He's so far out there. And they were so mad at Jesus. He once said to the Jews of his time, why do you want to kill me? Will you make yourself out to be the son of the father? And equal to him, they were so upset that when he prayed and he taught, you refer to God as father. That is something they couldn't comprehend. How dare? See, because of Jesus Christ, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And as John makes it perfectly clear, when Jesus came to his own, his own did not receive him. They were so upset with him. But to those who received him, to those who believed in Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. Not born of blood or by the will of the flesh or the will of a husband, but by the will of God. 
It is God the Father who calls us his children and gives us the right to call him daddy. How do you look at the Father? You can tell a lot about the way somebody understands God and what they refer to him as. Have you ever heard anybody say this? The big guy, the man upstairs, really? Jesus teaches us here this morning, he's your dad. And he can hear you. Before you speak, he knows what you're saying. And wherever you are, he's there with you. Many years ago, about 30 years ago, <laughs> I did a sermon of, on Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, Abba. And I said, you know what he's saying is, Daddy. And at the end of my message, at the time for prayers, I referred, when I turned to the altar, I said, Dear Daddy, listen to our prayers. That week, somebody wrote me a letter and says, How dare you refer to God as Daddy? And all I did was write back and say, you know, that's the example Jesus gives us in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm here to tell you, when a father hears daddy from a child, it, it doesn't bother him. When you say father, when you say daddy, he's listening. You have that right. Amen, Amen is right. Our father in heaven. Now with this, Jesus is once again, is telling the folks, both Jew and Greek, about the Father. He's in heaven. That's not referring to an address, although he's in heaven, but referring to the one with all the resources of heaven. You see, the Gentiles were real good at repeating themselves, long phrases. If you study Greek mythology, you learn about gods and demigods. You learn about polytheism, all the different gods. And when you study the prayers, they're just repetition. Zeus this, Zeus that, Zeus this, Zeus that. Imagine for a moment your child, Jeter, <laughs> or my child or your child saying to you, or imagine my child coming up to me, oh, almighty, great and wonderful, tall and handsome, founding pastor of a blaze church. I'm hungry. I'd be going, what the heck is wrong with you, child? No, when a child is on, daddy, I'm hungry. Now, you know why Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. All the words you can use, come on. You don't have to do that. The Greeks were known for it. Repetition. Again and again. How, have you ever heard of it? Oh, dear Father. Oh, Father. Oh, Father in heaven. Oh, Father, listen to me. No, all you have to do. The microwave prayer is, Lord. <laughs> microwave prayer, Help. He knows before you speak. In heaven means that's where he is and all the resources. 
That's why last week Dr. Spomer spoke to you about ask and you shall receive, seek, you'll find, knock, and the door will be open because our God rules the heavens and the earth and can do whatever you ask of him. But Jesus also teaches us here in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. There's such a connection here. I wish I had another hour to teach you about the Ten Commandments that are found in the Lord's Prayer. First commandment, no other gods before me. Second commandment, don't misuse the name. Third commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Gather with God's people. Your will, not my will be done. Love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. You got the first commandment, uh, the first three, and the last seven. It just all comes together. Now, Jesus wraps it up, but of course, it's give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. He taught that on the cross. And then he comes down with this, all right, when you go forth and when you pray, guess what? You better know this. It's all about forgiveness. That's why Jesus came to forgive you and I and for us to forgive others. As a team, you know how we influence the world? Let me say that again. As a team, you know how we influence the world? by forgiving. We are a team that our victory is forgiveness. God has forgiven us, that's vertical. And we must forgive horizontal. Forgiveness is vertical and horizontal. If God has forgiven you, you must forgive others. Who is it in your life you're not forgiving? God says, listen, here's another warning, the third warning. If you don't forgive somebody in your life, as I have forgiven you, guess what? I'll remove my forgiveness from you. As children of God, as children together as a team can say and go to the creator of heaven and earth and call him daddy and have every right Knowing he's in heaven and listens, we need to say, all right, what is his will for me on earth? To forgive. May this prayer inspire you and give you a little refreshment on how you view prayer. May it be a model for you as you go forth, acknowledging all that God has given you and that you are a child of God. Amen.